Welcome to Black Sparrow Radio, KBSR, transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas. You are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, plant people. Welcome to Plow and Hose, and welcome again to my backyard and my patio studio that I have out here. Well, my family and I were out of um, town for Thanksgiving, but from what I understand, it was really kind of chilly here over the holiday, but it's a different story now because the weather this week in Central Texas has just been really, really quite lovely. It's been just so pleasant, and I have a hard time believing that it's December and we are still getting up into like the low 80s. It's so weird. I I don't know why it surprises me. I mean, I've lived here long enough and I really shouldn't be surprised by all this crazy fall weather, but still, I'm just never going to get used to it because it's different every year. Some years it's cold this time, other times it's like this. And here we are, first week of December, and... I am still harvesting peppers from my pepper plants and lots and lots of little tiny tomatoes. And all of those plants are still putting out blossoms. So as long as it stays warm, I'm probably going to have just keep having peppers and tomatoes. When we got back from our Thanksgiving trip, I was really, really amazed to find so many of the little marble-sized tomatoes, and I I was actually able to pick three pounds of them, and that's nuts. I mean, here we are, it's December, and since November 27th is the average first frost date for our part of Central Texas, more often than not, we've already had at least one cold snap that has zapped and killed our cold tender plants like tomatoes and peppers. Frost occurs when overnight temperatures get down to 32 degrees, and the average first frost date is the approximate date when we should expect the cooler temperatures to kind of settle in. And we have to take precautions to protect those plants or just be at peace with letting all of the warm season plants die. Frost is really all it is is just frozen dew drops. It usually burns off when the sun comes up and starts warming up the day. The problem with frost though is that it can damage cold tender plants because ice crystals form when temperatures drop below 32 degrees. It forms when water vapor condenses out of the air and settles on cool surfaces and pretty much anything left outside can develop frost. But frost damages plants by freezing water on the inside of plant cells and this causes those cells to burst and then they die. And that sounds like really dramatic. There's no actual explosions, just dead plants. Or in the very least, um, like brown tips on leaves and whatnot. If you have any summer plants or houseplants still outside, 
better make a plan. Just keep checking the weather forecast. And if there's any chance of temperatures dropping, just go ahead and cover your plants or pick any tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, eggplants, those kind of things that are still out there. Or move your house plants to a safe place, either inside or close to the house where you can take advantage of a microclimate that you may have. Um, that's just an area where temperatures are slightly different than other parts of your yard or garden. Microclimates are those areas like on your patio or close to the house where um, it's usually a few degrees warmer or cooler depending on the situation. The first frost usually doesn't do too much damage to cold hardy plants. That first frost would have to be pretty dang cold, like way down in the 20s and hold in the 20s for like several hours. It's still a bit early for that kind of hard freeze. With the first frost of the year though, cold, cold hardy plants, they're going to be just fine. Winter squash, pumpkins, they'll, they'll be fine. Carrots, leeks, and cool season herbs like cilantro, and of course, all of the cold crops will be fine. So, broccoli, cabbage, the winter greens, collards, kale, all of those, those actually can benefit from the frost, and some people say that it makes their cold crops taste a little bit sweeter. Around here in Central Texas, the first average frost um, can come before or after. November 27th and this year it has not happened yet so either go ahead and plan on moving your house plants inside or having some blankets and sheets to cover your plants and prevent frost from forming on them. Covering your plants is going to trap ambient soil heat and um, raise the temperature around your plants and it's gonna prevent frost and frost damage. The thing that you don't want to do, or well, you can use plastic sheeting if that's all you have, just make sure that your plant doesn't touch the plastic because that will cause, um, plastic is not a good insulator and it'll damage your plant. So try not to use plastic um, and have your plants touch the plastic. But like I said, all of our winter crops are just going to be okay. Even those baby plants and seedlings will be able to handle the first cold, cold spell. It's really not likely to be a killing frost this first time, and a killing frost will happen at 28 degrees. Yes, we live in Texas. Anything can happen with our weather. But just keep an eye on the weather forecast. Even as we creep closer to that first frost, you can still plant things, but you definitely want to go ahead and get them in the ground soon. For me, Thanksgiving is the dead last date. I feel comfortable putting out wildflower seeds. So if you haven't done that, go do it. Do it this week, get that taken care of. All of the, wild, the spring wildflowers, they need to germinate and get their roots established before springtime. It's just been so unusually warm, so if you still have some seeds that you haven't planted, just plant them. 
in the veggie beds we still have lots of things that we can plant i have to say that this time of year you really really need to like leafy greens because that's what's going to be the most successful if you are planting now so asian greens like bok choy and pak choy napa cabbage those can be planted cool season greens like kale mustard collards those all can be planted from seed now spinach and lettuces those also can be um, planted all winter long actually and radishes too but get those beets in before that first frost so that you can have a nice crop with these winter uh, with these warmer temperatures that we've been kind of maintaining lately we can squeak by and plant some other things that are just outside the recommended planting window for our area like alliums so garlic and onions those both can be planted now there are basically two ways you can grow onions in your garden starting them from seed or from onion sets onion sets are basically onion transplants onion seeds are sold in those little packets like all other seeds onion sets though are immature onion plants sold in bundles of little sprouted onion bulbs they look a whole lot like the uh, green scallions that you get at the grocery store but um, they're much smaller probably a third of the size of those grocery store scallions onion sets come in several different varieties and you can find yellow white sweet and red onion sets not every place that sells bedding plants will have onion sets but local stores like feed stores and independent nurseries will usually get some in when you buy from independent nurseries and local places you can feel pretty confident that they have picked great varieties that will grow well for us in our area and climate but go ahead do a little research on texas onions and just and just decide what kind you want to plant and how you want to use your onions there are usually different varieties available in the fall than ones in the springtime sweet and red varieties are going to be mild and those are best used raw the yellow and white onions are um, a whole lot stronger and those are more suitable for cooking I bought some onion sets um, this past weekend and I've already forgotten what kind that I bought but I know that they are yellow ones and I am sure that they're going to grow very well because onions are just so easy to grow. Onions do best in fertile, well-draining soil and I've had great luck with growing onions in raised beds so um, wherever you plant them just be sure to amend your soil with compost and organic matter especially if you'll be planting directly into the into heavy clay soil like we have here in taylor we've got that black gumbo sticky clay soil here soil amendment with compost and organic matter is going to be really important for you to do that because soil drainage is just so important to onions because if the ground stays too wet or too moist they can rot or mold will start to grow on them and rotten onions reek <laughs> they're so gross that smell is right up there with rotten potatoes it's just so disgusting so 
Don't let that happen. Just pick a well-draining spot in your garden for your onions. When you are ready to plant, all you have to do is just untie the bundle of onion sets and place them in a row. Just lay them out on top of your soil and space them about three to four inches apart. Just eyeball that spacing. Most onions aren't gonna get super giant, so you can space them pretty close together. And you can always go back and thin them too. After you lay them out in your first row, just poke a hole with your finger down about like an inch and place the onion bulb end, the white end or the yellow end or the red end, into the hole and cover it with a little bit of dirt. Make sure that you've got it firmly in place and stabilized and then just get on with planting the rest of your onions. It's just so easy. So, so easy. Then, when you're ready to do the next row, just leave about six inches between the rows. You don't want to plant them too deeply. Just an inch is going to be perfect for your little baby onion plants. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the other great shows and music coming out of our little station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share with your gardening friends. Or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose show. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, just download some episodes and leave a review. It's so quick. Just click on the little stars, type up a sentence or two about what you like about the show, and submit it. It's so easy. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading the Plow and Hose episodes really helps me get some show statistics. So if you don't mind, please go leave a review, download some shows. All right, let's get back to those onions. If you want, you can try to stagger plant your onions, and all this means is that you wait like a week in between planting. So say this week you plant a row of onions and then wait until next weekend and plant another row or two. Spreading out the plantings this way will allow you to continually um, harvest and it's gonna extend your growing season. I am terrible about doing that. I tend to plant all my onions at once just so that I can go ahead and get them in the ground because in spite of all of my good intentions, I know I'll forget to plant more and all those ones that are little baby onion plants I was saving, they'll dry out. So I just go ahead and do it then. I don't know, maybe one day I will have my act together and I'll be able to stagger plant crops. But right now, more than likely, I'll forget. So I just do them all at once. Honestly, when you get like a bundle of those um, onion sets, you get a whole bunch. And I really don't need a ton of onions. So I went ahead and just gave um, some of my onion sets to a friend so that he could plant them this year. Now, there aren't a lot of insects that bother onions. If you interplant onions with your other veggies, they can actually repel insects that do like those other plants. So if you have cabbage or lettuces or broccoli, try planting some onions near them. Those little green inchworms and cabbage looper caterpillars, 
they can't stand onions and rabbits avoid onions too so having onions in your garden with your other veggies is a really great idea if you have the space all you really need to do to care for your onions is just go check on your onion plants every now and then and make sure they aren't having any issues if we don't get any rain you're gonna need to water your onions like once a week every 10 days or so but that's it they're so easy to take care of onions store nicely so if you get oh, a big harvest and a bunch of onions at one time it's not a big deal because when it's time to harvest them uh, they're gonna let you know it'll be like late spring if you plant them now um, like May or June time time frame when the bulb stops growing and it's not gonna get any larger they tell you because the leaves start to collapse and fall to one side and then you can just pull them up lay them on the dirt you can leave them on top of the soil for like a day or two and that's fine they're gonna dry out once uh, after a day or so just cut the tops off and brush them off and bring them inside you want to store them by putting them on like a single layer in a box or in a basket and they'll continue to dry out and have that really papery kind of husk um, outer layer if you want to use some as green onions just go out to your garden and pull up what you need you can harvest onions at any time but it's when the um, the tops flop over when you know that they aren't going to grow anymore and you should harvest them then but in the meantime you could go um, just go out and pick a few while they're young and thin uh, you know, of all the plants in the world, I can't really identify with green onions. I mean, I do remember being young and thin, but that was kind of like a long time ago, so... Anyway... Even though this weather has been so balmy, it really looks like autumn now because just so many trees are dropping their leaves and it won't be long before all these trees are totally leafless and completely naked personally I prefer springtime and summertime when everything is lush and green outside and not naked but you know I can find things to appreciate about this time of year too you know for example um, this week we have this big old elm tree in our chicken yard and the other day I was just um, I was home for lunch and I was out admiring all the golden yellow leaves around the base of the tree and earlier in the uh, in the day before I came home for lunch we had gotten this little rain shower and I guess the raindrops added just enough weight to these uh, yellow leaves and it just caused them to just go ahead and drop so so many leaves had fallen so so many that the ground was just blanketed in this perfect layer of those egg yolk yellow golden leaves and I just was just so struck by how pretty they were they, it was really really kind of stunning but the best part was when I noticed that the leaves were still falling and it was just the most magical thing to watch these yellow leaves just float from the top limbs and then just casually drift and gradually sink 
to the ground. It was sort of like watching uh, snowfall. It was very calming. And I don't know, it was just really neat, and it just felt special. And I absolutely loved being out there and being in that moment right then. But I know... I know some people don't appreciate leaf litter near as much as I do. And folks just see leaves on the ground as a big mess. And they just start raking and bagging up leaves and putting them out out at the curb with the garbage. And I'm like, y'all are fools because you are throwing away some really good stuff. Because leaves are really awesome. Once deciduous trees are done with their leaves, after, um, after they've taken all the nutrients they can from the leaves, that's when they start their winter dormancy and then the leaves all fall off. When the leaves are left on the ground at the base of the tree, leaves start to break down and decompose. All those leaves that are around the base of the tree, the soil is taking in all the nutrients and the minerals from the leaf compost. Soil critters and microbes will process the nutrients even more, and then the tree's roots are able to absorb the nutrients. It's this whole big nutrient recycling circle. Trees make the leaves, the leaves give the tree food and energy through photosynthesis during the spring and the summer, and then when the leaves die and fall to the ground, those decomposing leaves feed the soil, which feeds the tree so that they can make new leaves again in the spring. And I know we all learned about this in elementary school a long time ago, but I still think it's so super cool and just amazing how nature just takes care of itself. So when I see these bags of leaves at the curb, I'm like, those folks just don't know what they're missing. I know a lot of us are just in the habit of raking leaves because that's what our parents did and that's what our neighbors do. And there's kind of an odd neighborhood peer pressure where you don't want to be, you don't want your neighbor to be upset at you when the wind blows your leaves into their yard after they spent all weekend raking. And you don't want your other neighbor's leaves to blow into your yard either. Or, you know, maybe... You rake leaves because somebody said that you had to. You had to rake the leaves and remove them. Otherwise, they would smother your lawn. But I want to tell you that's kind of a myth because unless we have just months and months of wet weather and you have a very, very dense layer of leaves on your lawn, then it's really unlikely that your lawn will not recover. You really have to have several inches of thick, wet leaves to ruin grass. And here in Central Texas, we're just not likely to have those conditions over the winter. By letting the leaves stay on the ground, you're not only getting all-natural organic fertilizer for your trees and lawn that is completely free, you're also validating teenagers across America who think that raking leaves is useless and stupid. Because it kind of is. Just because we had rake leaves when we were kids, that doesn't mean that we have to perpetuate that cycle. Our lawns will survive with some suburban leaf litter. Here in Taylor and in Williamson County, nobody lives in a dense forest. We don't have to worry about 
leaves killing our grass. Our lawns will be okay. But if you feel that weird peer pressure with your neighbors where everyone rakes because nobody wants to be the neighbor that doesn't, I don't know, I'm not really sure what to tell you how to manage those relationships, but you could use it as a way to start a conversation about the environmental benefits of leaving your leaves alone. Lots of small creatures and critters depend on the little mini ecosystems that leaf litter provides in the fall and winter. Small lizards, caterpillars, and even bumblebees overwinter in fallen leaves. Moths disguise themselves as dried leaves and they hide on the ground. It's just a little mini habitat. So if you got to rake up your leaves for whatever reason and disturb those habitats, just don't bag them up and put them out on the curb. Relocate those leaves to your compost pile or use them as leaf mulch in your garden. Because putting leaves in plastic garbage bags to be hauled off and dumped in a landfill is just dumb. It's a complete waste because it can take anywhere from 10 to 1,000 years for all those plastic bags to break down. I really hate seeing compostable material going to the landfill. And if you would just use them in your garden or in the compost, it hardly takes any time to break down. They break down really quickly, a whole lot quicker than a thousand years, like a garbage bag. I guess while I'm complaining, um, you know, another thing that bugs me are leaf blowers. I know that they are super handy and they make things go, yard work go faster, but my God, they're loud and obnoxious and they contribute to air and noise pollution. But I think what irritates me the most about them is when folks blow their yard debris into the street and then they just keep going about their business because, you know, once it hits the street, it ceases to be a problem to them. But what people don't realize is that grass clippings and leaves, they they don't just stay in the street right where you left them. They migrate down the street and eventually they settle into low spots where that's where they start to break down and over time weeds and grass grow in the street and not only is that ugly and tacky it's not good for the street I mean depending on how deep the yard debris is and what else decides to grow there roots can and they do create cracks and damage in the pavement so don't do that instead of blowing your leaves into the street or sending them to the landfill Take advantage of all those free leaves and use them. Use them as mulch. Or you can make a pile next to your compost pile. Compost piles need both brown and green plant material to break down efficiently. So keep some leaves next to your compost pile and save them so you have brown material all year. You can use those leaves later on in the summer when brown material is much harder to come by. But if you don't want to use leaves for mulch or you don't need them for your compost pile you can always just leave them in your yard and just mow over them the smaller particles will break down quickly and feed your lawn you won't notice them as much as if you left them whole what's going to happen they're going to break down all those nutrients from the leaves also feeds the soil microbes and healthy soil makes for healthy lawns to leave the leaves alone.
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me again this week. I think next time I want to come up with some gardening gift ideas. We've got these holidays coming up. So these are things that maybe you could ask for or you could give to all of your plant-minded friends. But for now, I hope you all have a great week. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.